Hello and welcome to episode 30 of our weekends booked. I'm Brielle. And I'm Kate. So Kate, how are you feeling today? I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty tired from our trip this weekend, but I slept most of the day, so I'm feeling a little better. I too slept most of the day away, got up at 11 a.m., which I never ever do, but I think we needed it. Yeah, we um went this weekend for Brielle's brother got married. So we went to St. George Island. It was my first time there. I loved it, but there's nothing to do there. Yeah, nothing at all. It's it's just like a place that you go to relax, which we got to do. We had like a mini family vacation. We got to see like our cousins and our aunts and uncles. And I, I just really had a really great weekend. It was like a little reset for me. So, oh, and happy Memorial Day. Oh, you too. Yeah, I would definitely say it was a nice little reset, and the wedding was beautiful. The weather was perfect for it. They got married on the beach, so I'm a little sunburnt everywhere, but it was worth it. Definitely worth it, and congratulations, Jake and Savannah. This week, we are going to discuss the final girl support group by Grady Hendricks. What you got to tell us about Grady? So first of all, let me start off by saying anything Grady Hendricks writes, I'm reading. Absolutely. Absolutely. So some information I got. He is an American author, journalist, and a screenwriter, which I thought was awesome. Triple threat. He's one of the founders of the New York Asian Film Festival. He writes both nonfiction and fiction. New York Times bestselling author. Um, His debut novel was in 2011 called The Magnolia League. And in 2018, he received the Bram Stoker Award for best nonfiction for his book called Paperbacks from Hell. This is actually the second book that we've read by Grady Hendrix. The first one that we read, I actually did a tandem read at my friend Ashley's suggestion. So we read it together like COVID summer. And then I suggested it to Kate and she read it. And that was uh, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. That's a mouthful, but that book was awesome. That book was so good. I I didn't put, I don't think I put it down once I started it because it was like a weekend. And I think I finished it in a day. It was so good, so well written, really just kind of like pulled you in, which this book was kind of the same way. Yeah, so this is not like our typical genre, right? We, you know, we like fantasy and this does has like has aspects of fantasy in it. But this is more of what I think you would call like horror humor because it's got that like 80s slasher feel to it, that campy horror. But... It does have like humorous points to it as well. Yeah, and I think that parts of some actual horror stories like that were in the paper and stuff like that, he kind of incorporated into this book as well, right? Yeah, yes, that's that's absolutely right. So this book, we'll just dive right in. There's a lot of characters, so you just kind of hopefully keep up as we go along. So there's six women. At one point, there was seven who are the sole survivors of, like, serial killer attacks. And they all see the same therapist. Her name's Dr. Carol in what they call the final girl support group to deal with, you know, the trauma that they've been through from all of these events. Yeah, I think they they meet, like, weekly or whatever, and they've been doing this for, what, like, 16 years or something? Yeah, it's a long time. And each character you kind of come to find out like each character either is progressing in their life or they're not right. Like some of them are kind of just like 
stuck and like living life day to day, you know, second to second, minute to minute, because they're waiting for like some other tragedy to happen to them. And then like other characters, they don't know how to cope. So they've become like alcoholics or drug addicts. Um, And then you do have your other characters who have like turned over a new leaf in their life and have made like the situation that they went through, which was like terrible into something better. Yeah. I mean, I think that we can, we can say that the one main, main character is Lynette. She's kind of the one that's telling the whole story of what's happening to all of them. And Lynette's a little out there, you know, definitely, definitely. That's an understatement when you say a little out there. Yeah, she, you know, her apartment, which I just find comical, is set up almost like a jail cell that only she knows how to escape so no one else can get in. And, you know, she's, I don't know, she's just crazy. I mean, she talks to a plant that she named like it's a pet. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that she is so traumatized and she has that, like, survivor's guilt about what happened to her so many years ago that she's, like, just waiting for, you know, the next episode, so to say. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Exactly. Like, the next event to happen, she has to go into, like, survival mode again and, like, it's fight or flight for her. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It's just so sad. Like, it seems like out of all the characters for Lynette, this group is like her life. Yeah. And they actually discuss that. They're like, you know, we only do this because of you, Lynette. And in her mind, she thinks that it's because of like one of the other characters, but you know, she's, I think that they, all the, all the other girls in the group, they view her as the reason why they still meet because they're trying to keep her that little, like, tether of sanity that she has they're trying to keep it intact yeah i mean and their very first session together like right up the rip the first session in the book they talk about there's another girl her name's adrian butler and she actually the camp where she was a victim she bought and she turned it into kind of a place to come like rehabilitate for the girls that have been through similar situations as them and in our their very first session, right out the rip, I think another character named Marilyn Torres gets a phone call that Adrian's been murdered. There was a hu- another killing spree at her camp, and there was only one survivor, and it's another girl we'll meet later. Her name's Stephanie. So immediately, you know, we told you guys Lynette's a little cray-cray, so she starts to spiral, like, almost immediately. Uh, she's so crazy that she has like cars stashed throughout the city with like money in them. And, you know, she's got like survival bags in places like her life is just completely planned out for an attack to happen. Oh yeah. She's ready to go any minute. Yeah. And instead of like the other girls, like banding together, you kind of see this like um, dismantling of the group and, uh, one of the other characters, her name is Danny. She is like, you know, so sorry for Adrian, but like, I'm going to go. She has like a ranch. She's going to go to her ranch and she's going to like be with her wife. Her wife is actually dying. So that's like sad in itself. But she kind of like doesn't want anything to do with this. Yeah, I mean, I think they all kind of felt that way. But we find out quickly, like after this meeting, Lynette goes home 
and another girl, Julia, who I believe Julia was the one that was in a wheelchair, right? Yes. From her injuries, from her attack. So she shows up at Lynette's house. And this is kind of where the whole story starts to, like, implode. So she shows up at Lynette's house. And Lynette has, like, a camera, you know, because she's crazy. And on her front door. And she's, like, not letting her in. She gave Julia her address for emergencies only. And she's, like, there's no emergencies. You ain't coming in here. But this reporter that we find out Lynette has been working with, his name is Russell, um, puts on the mask of, like, the serial killer that actually attacked Julia the first time, which is really sick when you think about it, and, like, holds up a a piece of paper that he's written on that's, like, open the door or she dies. And, like, you know, Lynette is so out of touch with reality, she thinks that this is really happening and opens the door. But immediately, like, what, doesn't she, like, shoot at them? Yeah, she shoots at them, and then I think that the cops come and they start shooting, like, into her apartment. Yeah, which is crazy. Like, what kind of police shows up and just opens fire on someone's apartment? (laughs) That don't happen. No, and we find out later that there was, um, like, external exponents that were making that happen. Well, and, like, in this moment, you know, Lynette is always, like, so big on, like, we don't leave each other behind and stuff. And when her apartment's getting shot up, like, Julia gets shot and Lynette's, like, deuces, I'm out. And she just, like, leaves. Like, fight or flight and flight takes over. (laughs) Yes, she does. She, like, completely leaves Julia. She leaves her poor plant behind, too. The saddest part about that is I think she was more upset about leaving Fine, which is the name she gave this plant, than she was Julia. Oh, absolutely. She kept telling herself, like, fine, we'll be fine. Fine, we'll be fine. And then she's like, oh, yeah, Julia, I'm sure she was breathing. So Lynette flees her apartment and ends up going to their therapist, Dr. Carol's house, because she doesn't know where else to go. And while she's there, she meets Dr. Carol's two sons, Pax and Sky was the older son. And he just seemed a little bit too interested in the final girls for me. Like, he gave me creepy vibes, like, from the beginning. Oh, Sky, definitely. And, like, even the little one was kind of creepy, too, because obviously they know who Lynette is. Now, you know, all therapists are supposed to, like, keep everything confidential. But Dr. Carol is not just, like, a therapist who meets with them, you know, once a week. Like, she's, like, a renowned author. And she's, like, she speaks all over the country about, like, her work with these girls. Like, this is not, like, a secret, right? Now, the location is kept secret, but... Her work is not. So her kids, and I do want the um, listeners to understand that Pax is, like, little, but Sky is older. He's, like, in his 20s. Yeah, he's in his 20s. Like, okay, so if he was, like, 26, like, Pax is, like, 11, 12. You know, there's a big age gap there. So um, Pax is, is morbid in himself. Like, he asked Lynette to see her scars, And I don't know, like, I got creep vibes from this family right away. Like, I know Dr. Carol is supposed to be, like, helping them. But, like, why your kids know so much? Well, I think because she was, like, it was, like, all she did and talked about. Yeah, so she almost had, like, an obsession with them, kind of. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I would say. And while Lynette is here, they find out that Danny was arrested because she shot at the police. They came onto her ranch trying to tell her that the person that did all the killings and her, you know, attack wasn't who 
they arrested. It was somebody else, like someone admitted to all the crimes. And, you know, so Lynette's like in panic mode again. She asks Dr. Carol's son, Skye, to take her back to her apartment so she can get this like flash drive. Because one thing we left out was when Julia came to Lynette's apartment originally, she was coming to let her know that like some of their stories got leaked, that there was somebody writing a book about them. And they all thought it was this girl, Heather. But actually, it was Lynette. Yeah. Ooh. And she also finds out at this time that Heather, her rehab, she lives in like a rehabilitation house, has like burnt to the ground. Yeah, so like all these strange things keep happening to each one of them. Yeah, but fast forward, she asks Guy to take her um, back to her apartment to grab her things and her plant. Thank goodness. <laughs> and he does. And then she gets him to take her to Marilyn's house, correct? Yeah, because she's she's decided that Dr. Carol's the one that's behind all the killings. She's got to go. She got to go. So she gets to Marilyn's. When she gets there, she's, like, treated like an intruder. And Heather is also there. Yes. So Marilyn is probably doing the best out of all of them. Um, She's married into money, and she kind of, like, sells her story. She's having, like, some huge party when Lynette arrives, and, like, the guards at her estate think Lynette's, like, an intruder. And then Marilyn, like, sees it's her, so she, like, lets her in. And when she gets inside, she sees Heather's there, too. Yeah, and it's like, you know, Heather's like a drug a drug addict or used to be drug addict. So they're kind of like all talking about what's going on. And of course, Marilyn and Heather are like, Lynette, you're crazy. Like, you know, making her feel like she's nuts all over again. And then they're like sitting there and talking. And Lynette comes up with this idea that they're going to go to the hospice where Danny's wife is because Danny's in jail and take her back to the ranch where she can pass peacefully because that's what Danny promised her. And yeah, that's like, no, nah, we ain't doing that. Yeah, that's that's where you can tell that Lynette is just insane. Like, you, I, I know she had the best of intentions, but you can't take somebody from hospice. Like, you can't do that. Well, she did. <laughs> I mean, they all agree to it, and they go to take her, and like halfway there, she dies, like dies, and I'm like, and they're just gonna leave her on the side of the road. <laughs> See, so this is where that, like, horror, like, the horror and all that, but also it's kind of funny, right? Not that she died or anything, but that, like, they have got themselves into this situation, and there's no, like, rectifying it at this point. They, like, give her, like, a roadside burial and are like, okay, well, we still are trying to fight for our lives here, so we got to get out of here. Yeah, meanwhile, though, Heather calls the popo. Yes. And, um... You'll never believe who shows up. So there's one guy that we left out from the beginning of the story. So when they talk about Lynette's attack on her family, um, there was a police officer, police officer that came, rescued her, and his name is Garrett. And kind of after that, they had, I don't even want to call it a romantic relationship because they was just having sex randomly. So at certain points in her life, when she's kind of gotten into trouble, he's bailed her out since then. And when the police pick her up, he, like, is the one to take her. 
and she tells him like everything that's going on like her crazy theories and all this stuff and he trusts her and he's gonna let her like go do her thing and she he thinks that he's gonna get the glory for it but she like kicks him in the balls and steals his car (laughs) yeah and and garrett so his name his full name is garrett p cannon because he has like an over-the-top personality like that he like gave me like creep vibes because i mean when all this happened to lynette she was like 16 right Mm-hmm. So 16 or 17 or whatever. And yeah, he was like her hero. Like she says that in the book. She's like, you know, he was my hero. You know, I, I like owe my life to him because he saved her. But then he's like married and has kids and he's like developing this relationship with Lynette throughout the years. And I mean, she like has. I don't know. I think that she's like confused about like her feelings because I mean, she just went through this tragedy, but like, she like, like lets him, like he almost like grooms her and she lets him. And for years they have this relationship until he realizes like, she's not worth anything anymore. And he like kind of breaks it off. Well, yeah, because he was getting fame and stuff like that from being so intricately involved in her story. And I believe the only reason why he helped her out this time was because he found out about like the book or whatever and was like, we're going to write this book together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And she was like, no. And like stole his car, left him in the middle of nowhere. And was like, I'm going to figure all this out on my own because they found these letters from back when the murder was. And this is where I felt like there was a turning point in the book where you could kind of start to see that everything that was going on with the final girls was a setup. Yes. The letters, because she, she knew that she didn't, she had never like wrote those letters or read those letters either. Yeah. I mean, she does admit to writing letters with Ricky Walker the guy's name that killed her family. She does admit to writing letters with him, but a bunch of them were fabricated and it made it look like she had this illicit love affair with him and asked him to kill her family and all this stuff that just wasn't true. And I felt like, like I said, that was a tipping point where she was kind of like, okay, something's going on here. Yes. You know, Danny's in jail. Heather's rehab place has gotten burnt to the crisp. Adrian's been murdered. Like now these letters are surfacing that are are not authentic. Like just little things over and over and over. And she decides, because she's crazy, that she needs to go help this girl, Stephanie, that we talked about earlier, the last survivor of when Adrian was killed, to protect her from something horrible happening to her. And everything just kind of, like, burns to ashes from there, I felt like. Yes. And I don't think that we should say much else about the actual plot, because I think that's where the book really gets good. You read my, you took the words right out of my <laughs> I was just about to say that, because I felt like that's, like, where things kind of imploded. But I did want to say, um, when you were reading it, and as you were reading about, like, each girl, could you immediately identify the the horror movie that it was based upon no not right away okay so uh, obviously you had to know adrian's because that's friday the 13th yeah because of of the camp camp crystal lake you know her her camp is even called like camp red lake or something like that so we got that one and then julia's was pretty easy too hers was like scream because her boyfriend and his friend were mask, yeah. I got I think yes. that was so, that was honestly like the one that I got right away. There were still some of them that I didn't know by the end of the book, to be honest. 
And then Danny's was Halloween because her brother was actually the serial killer. So that's like Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. And Heather's, I didn't really understand, but I think it was like based on Nightmare on Elm Street, like the Freddy Krueger. So I'm not really sure like how exactly hers happened, but that's what that one was based on. I'm pretty sure. That was like one of the scariest movies I ever saw as a kid. That that yes, that was absolutely scary because I can never, I can't imagine like having to stay awake to survive. <laughs> no, and like <laughs> me neither because you know I love a good sleep. <laughs> and um, Maryland's was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which that one that, I got. That movie's really scary too. I mean, I love, I love horror movies. Like, yeah, they scare me, but it's my favorite genre of movies to watch. See, I like, I like the, the ones that are kind of like unrealistic, but like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is scary to me because like, you know, I live out here in Alabama and I, I, people will probably be doing that kind of thing out here. Oh Lord. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say I didn't. I didn't know Lynette's story or what movie it was based on because I had never seen the movie. I actually did a little Google search to to see what it was based on. For some reason, because I like have that book brain, I kept thinking about like the Silent Night series by R.L. Stein. Have you ever read yeah. those books? Okay, that's what I kept thinking about. And I know that wasn't like a movie, but when I Googled it, it said that there was actually a movie and it's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. And it's like a Christmas horror movie. I've never seen that. Me neither. And now I want to watch it. Well, I can't watch it by myself. But we'll save it for Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, because my husband's a baby and he don't watch scary movies. <laughs> I usually have to watch them with my 16-year-old niece because she loves scary movies, too. <laughs> yeah, my daughter, Karina, she loves scary movies, too, but not me. N- not all of these. So this book for me was absolutely incredible. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like anything Grady Hendrix writes, I'm reading. If you haven't read any of his books, pick them up. We actually just, you know, Brielle and I are on a constant book-buying band for pretend. Like... <laughs> <laughs> We say that, but it's not real life. So we were at the bookstore and there's a book of his that we've been wanting to get. Actually, two of them. We only got one. Um, It's called My Best Friend's Exorcism. So I'm really excited to read that one. Hopefully we pick it soon. Yeah, we found out that it's actually on Amazon Prime right now. Like it was made into a movie because Kate had said earlier that, you know, Grady Hendrix is actually like a screen He's a screenwriter, too, so he must have had a hand in that because it it does say, like, in the description that it's loosely based on his book. But we swore to each other that we're not going to watch the movie before we read the book. No, because I feel like that'll just ruin it, you know? I mean, there's no movie that's ever been made that lived up to the potential of the books, in my opinion. I'm sure some people disagree with that. I just feel like whenever they make movies out of books, they leave out so many times they leave out important details I mean, I don't want to watch it until I read it. Yeah, you you just said all that, but there's one movie that was way better than the book. Oh, well, that's the one and only 
Um, and what the product <laughs> thing is what we're, we're talking about. If nobody knows, I'm sorry for all the people that love that, but Reese's Book Club lied to y'all. That book is trash. Yeah, we did not like that book at all. But the movie was pretty decent. I liked the movie. I did like the movie way better. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said that book was trash. That was a little harsh, but I, I said what I said. <laughs> All right, but for this, the the final girls support group, uh, solid four stars, definitely. Um, I I don't know why I didn't give it five, but definitely solid four, and I will highly recommend it to anybody that will listen. I totally agree. Like I said, if you haven't read any Greedy Hendrix, go ahead and add some of his books to your TBR because they are definitely worth your time. All right, guys, well, that wraps up episode 30. If you like what you listen to, as always... Rate us on whatever podcast outlet you listen to and check us out on Instagram at our underscore weekends underscore booked. Again, I'm Kate. And I'm Brielle. Until next time.